0: So, all right. Well, hey, we are in the second week. I'm Mark, by the way. You're very well-adjusted pastor. Uh, and uh, we are in the second week of going through the book of Judges. And as Eric was saying, Judges is an interesting book uh, in the time of Israel. I think many times we forget that... Uh, Accounts in the Bible are are real people during a real time, uh, just like you and I, they didn 't know that they were on a reality TV show, and everybody was going to be you know seeing their their actions and things like that. They were just men and women. Uh, trying to follow God or, or not follow God at uh, the best that they knew how, and sometimes they succeeded and, and, and sometimes they they failed, sometimes they did the right things, sometimes they did the wrong things and I think a lot of times what, which compounds kind of the disconnect for us between us and especially Old uh, Testament and especially the book of judges is uh, the time uh, in Judges, that uh, the time period in Israel's history that is recorded in Judges, is a very turbulent, turbulent time. There's not a leader. There's not a Moses. There's not a Joshua. There's not a King David or King Saul. This is uh, two, three, or to 350 years uh, where where Israel was just out there and and they were meant to be focusing on God, but. Uh, like us, uh, they many times had a hard time doing that. And what we're seeing here is actually 12 different times uh, where God would raise up a deliverer, a, a, what is called a judge. And a judge is not just like Judge Judy or something like that. that uh, these kind of judges are, the, are basically the kings. They're the political and spiritual leader of Israel in that given time. And last week, we looked at Ehud, who was a left-handed guy. And, and uh, we talked about how he was an unlikely uh, candidate to, to be the judge, to be the leader of Israel. And, but because of his left-handedness, that, uh, that uniquely qualified him to be the deliverer of, of Israel. So today, we're going to be talking about um, Deborah and uh, she is the fourth judge in this in this period and she also is the political and spiritual leader of Israel at at this time and as we look through this, uh, we're going to learn some stuff about her, and we're going to learn some stuff, hopefully, about ourselves, and, and hopefully, we're going to have a, a broader understanding of who God is. And this is where the book of Judges and all the pastors um, that I told you know that we were going to be going through the book of Judges—they're all like, "Ooh, you know, that, that's a really that's a difficult book because uh, a lot of times the view of God." In, in Judges, our view of God in Judges is, is, is a lot different than the one that we like to think of. That, that uh, there's, there's some really tough realities that are hard for our 21st century sensibilities to kind of wrestle with. But the good thing is that I, I believe that these stories are important and they do have things to speak to us In our lives and we're going to unpack that in a real way and look at some tough questions today and hopefully by the end of it uh, we'll know and love God uh, even more than than we did when we walked in here. So if you open up to Judges chapter 4 verse 1 it starts out after Ehud's death the Israelites again did what was evil in the Lord's sight. They, all, they did what was evil. So once again, I think it was like 80 years that Ehud was, was around and they had 80 years of peace and, and all was good. And then he then he died. And once again, people are just kind of doing doing their own thing. And in verse two, it says, so the Lord handed them over to King Jabin of Hazor, a Canaanite king. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived at Herosheth Hagoim. Sisera, who had 900 chariots, ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. Now, here's the first thing that we we come across that, that may be a little hard for us to accept. That that Israelite once again Israelites once again Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and what did God do because of that he removed his protection from them and they were conquered by a people who ruthlessly oppressed them now i think that maybe for some of us our view of God is like well phew, that's not very loving. That how could how could God remove His protection from from Israel? And if if He would remove His protection from Israel, then what's to stop Him from removing His protection of us in our lives? And you know what I you know I wanna I wanna you know have an easy life, right? I I want I have the whole reason that. You know, I have God as I want God's protection, right? You want God's love. You want God's protection. You want God's providence. This is kind of the things that we want. Well, let me ask you this. And, and I was sitting here and I was I was kind of struggling with this a little bit. And, and sitting here and going like, you know, I just don't like it. I just personally don't like it. They call God our Father in heaven, right? And what if we think about it in in this regards, that that You know what? God is protecting his children, but he's also he allows them to have the consequences, reap the consequences of their actions. And if you kind of remove yourself from this scenario where you're like, oh, my gosh, you know, and you put it into into your, you know, your personal setting. You know, those of us who are parents or those of us who were kids or who are kids, I just, I I have a question for you. How many of you have ever been burnt? I have. Everybody. Even if you didn't raise your hand, you're lying. And that's, you're lying in church and it's not a good thing to do. I'm just telling you that. Did anybody ever tell you? Not to play with fire or the stove or hot water or anything like that, of course, of course, they did. Did you listen? No, because fire's cool and and I like to play with it and and you know what there there's a point where you know what unfortunately, I don't like it I don't like this about me, maybe you don't like it about yourself is You know what? We learn best through our consequences (laughs) that we really will not change our behavior until there's enough pain in order for us to change our behavior. So here we have you're like, well, God, that's not very nice that you allowed them to be taken over. It's not very nice that, that you allowed them to be oppressed ruthlessly by this, this outside army. But what was the alternative? What's the alternative? Well, let's go back. Let's think, you know, what's the alternative, you know, if parents who do not allow their children to experience any consequences? Two words. Paris Hilton. <laughs> I mean, it, that is the result that that these are the things that 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 happen and unfortunately even though it pains us as parents even though it pains God to allow us to experience the consequences of our actions it is a necessary thing now one thing that parents do do is many times they limit those consequences i know my parents sitting here have limited many consequences in my life i have limited consequences in my children's life, and I also believe that God is limited, and I know this is true. Has limited consequences in my life. Yeah, it's very cool now to, uh, uh, you know, justice, and I, I'm about justice and bring bringing justice. But really, ultimately, none of us want complete justice. We want mercy and grace. We don't want justice for everything we want we want to be protected from the wrongs that that we have done so it continues on that finally after 20 years then the israelites crowd cried out to the lord for help it took them 20 years to cry out for help and for were too hard on on the israelites that you know what, we're not much different. I know I was, and I, it took me 24 years to cry out to God for help before the patterns of my life and, and uh, that I finally said, you know what, I cannot do it anymore. That, that you know, many of us, that we, we will financially act a certain way or or spiritually act a certain way or relationally act a a certain way or physically act a certain way. And we are just fine with those patterns as long as we can continue them. But at some time when it all collapses, that's the time where we cry out to God. And the cool thing is here that in verse 4, God sends a deliverer. Deborah, the wife of... Uh, Lapidoth, this scripture is just full of these things, so just stick with me, was a prophet who had become a judge in Israel. Now remember, not Judge Judy, Lear. She would hold court under the palm of Deborah. I don't know if she named it after herself, maybe, maybe not. Which stood between Ramah and Bethel in the hill county of Ephraim. And the Israelites came to her to settle their disputes. One day she sent for Barak, son of Aben Let me try that again. Abin-O- Abin-Oma, who lived in Kadesh in the land of Nephtali. She said to him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel commands you. Assemble 10,000 warriors from the tribe of Nephtali and Zebulun at the Mount of Tabor. And I will lure Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors to the Kishon River. There I will give you victory over him. So basically what's going on here, Deborah is the political and spiritual leader of Israel. God his called her up as the leader to answer the cries of Israel that God is going to work through Deborah. To answer their cries, God, please deliver us from this ruthless oppression. And her is the commander-in-chief. She calls Barak, who is the general. And, And she says, Barak, She says, this... God told me to tell you that you are to go and fight Sisera with his 900 chariots and all his supporting infantry and all of these kind of things. And you got to understand it at, at this point a time in Israel, Israel didn't have any heavy infantry. They didn't have chariots. They didn't have all these kinds of stuff. But the enemy did. That that these nine hundred chariots these these are just not chariots. You know this is this is not just like fun little you know kind of things that little horsies pull you along at, at the fair. You know these are things with like two horses, big full stallion type horses. You know war horses that are pulling this this you know heavily built, heavily constructed chariot that is covered in iron and another thing that they used to do is they would put these these sharp like sword things razor sharp like sticking out of the hubs you know it was like the equivalent of spinners back then but but they had these uh these these swords that were out and what they would do is they would run these war chariots right through the light infantry which Israel had and it would cut them off at the knees, I mean just I mean, just absolutely gruesome way to go, so this is basically Deborah is saying Barack this is God told me to tell you that you are going you need to take ten thousand guys and go up against this massive better you know army this army that's better trained that's better equipped. That is stronger and bigger than you, and you are going to defeat them. This is what Barack told her. He says, I will go, but only if you go with me. Very well, she replied, Since you are a sissy. I added that (laughs) I will go with you. But since you have made this choice, you will receive no honor for the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh at Kadesh Barak called together the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali and 10,000 warriors marched with him. Deborah also marched with them. Now Heber, like Kenite, a descendant of Moses, brother of Hobab, had moved away from the other members of his tribe and pitched his tent by the way of uh, the oak of Zayad Nahum near Kadesh. So basically what's going on here is like, all right, Deborah's, Deborah's going with me. They go to these towns and say, all right. You know what? Hey, we are going to go into battle, and and these ten thousand warriors, you know, they uh, men come come to arms under under the leadership of of Deborah, under the command of direct command of Barak, and and they're going out there to march to go up against this army of Sisera. In verse twelve, when Sisera was told that Barak, son of Abinoam had gone up to Mount Tabor. He called for all 900 of his iron chariots and all of his warriors. And they marched from Herosheth Hagoim to the Kishon River. Then Deborah said to Barak, get ready. Today the Lord will give you victory over Sisera. For the Lord is marching ahead of you. So Barak led his 10,000 warriors down the slopes of Mount Tabor into battle. When Barak attacked, the Lord threw Sisera and all of his charioteers and warriors into a panic. Then Sisera leaped down from his chariot and escaped on foot. Barak chased the enemy and their chariots all the way to Harosheth Hagelam, killing all of Sisera's warriors, not a single one was left alive you guys pray with me dear god as we uh, look at this story i just pray that you'll open up our eyes to see our ears to hear that we will learn more about you that we will be challenged in our view of you that we will not limit you to be a god of our design but we will see you for how big you really are we love you lord in jesus name amen well as I was really just pouring over this this scripture this week and just really asking God, you know, God, you know, you know, what what do you want us to learn out of this? Where where should we go with this? And I mean I wrote that question. I said, what can we learn from this story? What why is it in the Bible? Why is it shared with us? And I think the, the first thing, and we talked about it. Um, is that just really the, the whole concept and understanding of God's protection. That we are so apt to claim God's protection, but we so many times don't allow room for the consequences that we, we don't feel that, that you know, a loving God would, would allow us to, to experience consequences. But as we had talked about, you know what? That's not what a loving parent does. That uh, A loving parent allows people to feel the consequences. Why? So that they will grow in wisdom and knowledge and be able to be uh, a responsible uh, person. It's interesting is as, as we look at this, and we, I can see so many different parallels between the Israelites' behavior and so many times our, our behavior. You know, as as long as things are going well, that we are all very, very self-reliant. And you know what, we'll we'll do what's right in our eyes that we will continue the patterns that we have established all of our lives. And it's not until we experience enough pain that we will even uh, entertain the thought of changing those patterns. And those patterns can be lots of different things. Patterns could be, hey, you know what? When I have a bad day at work, I'll go out and I'll, I'll spend money that I don't have. Or, I'll, or I'll, if I have a bad relational moment that I'll find comfort in food. Or uh, that... I will uh, go find comfort in the arms of, of someone who's not my husband or wife. Or, you know, We all have different types of patterns. Some of them are very self-destructive. Some of them may not even be on the radar for maybe even us, that we don't even see these things in our lives and, and that this is how we use it. We don't use God. We don't go to God with, with our problems and for his um, His, uh, providence and his protection and his wisdom, but we rely on our own wisdom. And we continue doing that and doing that until something happens that requires us to change. And at that point, we have to say, you know what, what do we do? And those of us who've come to a point where we cry out to God That we learn that, you know what, God is faithful. That God never leaves us. But he's there patiently waiting for us to come to the end of our our wits end. To come uh, to to the end of our allegiance to our self-made patterns, coping mechanisms in life. And finally give over control to him. And this is what happens, which... We see time and time again in the book of Judges, and I think this is one of the central messages of Judges to us, is no matter how much we rebel, no matter how much consequences that we bring on upon ourselves, that God is there to redeem us and to bring us back, and that he will send things into our life or people into our life to to help us and bring us on a path back to him. And we see this when Israel called out to him that Deborah was raised up. Now, the interesting thing and in the, the, the interesting fact is here that uh, the whole interaction between Deborah and Barak. And I think this is a lot of times we think, you know what? God needs me. That God needs me to fulfill His purpose, or God needs me to to bring about the the change that that he, he requires, and and you know what? Quite honestly, it's really unbiblical thinking. That the the correct way to think about this is that is that you know what? God has a story that God is bringing something about, and that. You and I have the opportunity to be part of it. But God's ultimate plan is not contingent on our response to him. I know that's really difficult to hear. And 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 a lot of times, you know, kind of maybe makes you mad. It's like, well, what, what do you mean? Well, right here. That. That Deborah comes up, that God God called her to be the deliverer of the people, and she says, Look, bring this, bring this, you know, to to Brock, and that he has this, this opportunity, this opportunity to be written down in the story of God, as one of one of the you know great heroes of, of the faith, a man who went up like David against overwhelming odds, and and God delivered him. But Barack's there, and he say like, yeah, I don't know, and I don't want to be too hard on him because remember, Barack's a real guy. I mean, in a real place, in a real time. And I gotta be honest with you, if if I got the call to go and 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 go to war with light infantry up against overwhelming odds, and and you know these guys had 900, you know, huge chariots that were covered in iron and the spinny sword things. I'd be like, yeah, you go first. <laughs> uh, I, I can I can understand that. I like my knees where they are, and so I, I don't want to be hard on Barack, and uh, because he. I think he's he's facing real fears here, but what we see is, you know what, Barack's refusal to step up didn't change God's plan to deliver His people. The only thing that changed was the person who gets the credit for God working through got changed. But God's purpose was fulfilled. I think this is really really important for us to realize that God's plan is not contingent on us but we have the opportunity we have the opportunity to be part of the greatest story ever told. And I I wonder and I wonder about this in my own life and I, and I wonder about in other people's lives is, how many Abrahams are there out there? How many Moseses are out there? How many how many, you know, Joshuas are out there that that never responded to the call? And God said, "Okay. You know what? That's fine." You're missing this opportunity to live out the vision that I had for your life, a a life full of meaning and purpose and adventure. And it's going to somebody else. I think it's essential for us to ask that question, to be at the ready and to realize that, you know what? God is not going to call us to do things that we can accomplish within ourselves. It's just not how He operates. So what if it if it's of God, I can guarantee you this: it's going to be scary. It's not going to work out on paper. If it was conventional wisdom, anybody would have done it and it wouldn't be from God. You see. Our God is a God of the extraordinary, not the ordinary. And when you get called to an extraordinary thing, it's okay to be afraid. Because you know what? Iron-covered chariots with spinning things are scary. God's saying it doesn't fault you for being afraid. He will fault you for having in action to step forward and say, "You know what? I may not have it figured out, but I am going to follow what God has called me to do." And that's the thing that I look at here that that you know, we are called to do what we've been called to do and God is going to take care of the rest. The great thing is when he calls you to a God-sized adventure, he knows that you can't do it on your own. He's not calling you because you have it all figured out, that you have the resources or, or the vision or everything. He's calling you because he is looking for willing participants. Last week we talked about how his power is perfected in our weakness, that God is going to call the people who are not equipped so that he gets the glory. And I find it interesting that this, this story is retold many different ways in the Bible, different people, different circumstances. But there's something about it that notice what happens. What was the battle strategy that God gave Deborah to give to Barak? None. Go out in front of the dumb chariots with the spinny things and attack. Horrible plan. Absolutely horrible. But that was the plan. His plan is, you go out there and show your faith. I will do the rest. And this is a thing that that God did time and time again. With with uh, Jonathan, son of Saul, and, and uh, his armor bearer, when the Philistines were oppressing them, he wakes up his armor bearer and says, let's attack. And he's like, is it time to attack? And he's like, yeah, let's go. And he's like, where's everybody else? He's like, just you and me. And he's all like, well, what's the plan? He says, well, well, we'll attack up this hill and perhaps, perhaps, this is from the book, perhaps God will give us victory. Terrible plan. <laughs> Absolutely awful. This is a terrible plan. What about Moses? I always think about this and just like leadership, crossing the Red Sea, got a million Israelites behind you. Pharaoh's army's bearing down on you. God tells you, you walk out and I'm, I'm going to part the Red Sea. See, here's a good plan. God, the good plan is you part the Red Sea, then I walk out. <laughs> I'm all about walking it through, but this is, how, this is how it should go. But no, this is how it. God said, no, I'm not going to part the Red Sea until the hem of your robes hit the water. First step out. No parting. Come on, guys. (laughs) Look, it's going to part. I'm pretty sure it's going to part. I got it all figured out. Yeah, they're all sitting like you are a nut. (laughs) Hope you're a good swimmer, Moses, because that's the only way you're getting across. It wasn't till he hit his knees, the hem of his robe that it parted. We want the seed apart before us as a sign from God before we go, but that does not build our faith. We want an earthquake to scatter the Philistine army before we go up to attack, but that does not build our faith. We want God to, many historians think, that God. After Barack got out there, that he sent a storm and it 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 made the ground got wet and the chariots couldn't move and rendered them useless, and they were able. There was such confusion and such fear that they were able to rout the army. We want the storm that destroys and confuses the army to happen before we have to stand before. The chariots. The only problem with that is it doesn't build us in our faith and our understanding of who God is. And it doesn't build our relationship with him at all. God is looking for us to trust yeah. When I look at this, and I look at this story, which will compl- conclude next week. But I, the questions that I asked were were these: of us, are are we in a place right now of of peace and prosperity? Is our spiritual life sound? Is things going well? Or are we in a place where our self-made patterns, we keep on repeating them, and we have found that they have now become the oppressors of, our, of us, that they ruthlessly oppress us, and we need to cry out to God, God, send me a deliverer. Save me from myself. Maybe you're there. Maybe you're at the point where God has called you to stand in front of the chariots, to walk into the Red Sea, to charge the hill of the Philistine encampment. And you're sitting there, maybe like Barak, and saying, God, I don't know, I'm scared. Can somebody come with me? Can, can, can we work out another plan? I got some suggestions. You know, all of these kinds of things. And maybe for you, you know what? Today is the day where you say, you know what? I'm going to step out there and I'm going to do what God has called me to do and I'm going to trust Him to do the rest. And then the last one. <laughs> I believe wholeheartedly That God has entrusted each and every one of you with a story. Your stories are important. Deborah's story is important. Barak's story is important. Even Sisera's story is important. That these stories are the stories of God's interaction with his people. And... God has entrusted you with a story. Maybe not a story of you standing in front of a giant and you only having five stones. Maybe not you walking into the Red Sea and it parting. Maybe not you standing in front of 900 iron-clad chariots. But you know what? We have all faced oppression. We have all been ruthlessly... Ruthlessly oppressed a lot of times by our own doing. And God has given us deliverance. And it is our responsibility to tell that story. The story of God's faithfulness to his people. The story of God's redemption. The story of how he met you in your time of need. And if I'm allowed to give a homework assignment, this is my homework assignment to you. Write these stories down. Share them with your children. Share them with your friends. Please share them with me. Email me your stories. Your story has been entrusted to you to show how faithful God is. And we need to share that. You guys pray with me. Lord. So many times we. We just wonder. If it's right. Did we hear you right? Is the call right? God, one thing that I've learned. Is that. A moving car is a lot easier to turn than one that is just standing still. And God, I just pray that you will give us the confidence to know that you are faithful. That if we step out, that in faith and in pure heart, that the right degree of your protection will be there. And that you will move us into the place if we're willing that you want us to be. God, Let us be a people that are are not content with allowing other people to live out the vision that you had for our lives. Let us be part of your story. In Jesus' name, amen.